Um, so let's come to the Word of God, yeah? I am so honored to bring and handle the Word of God. I know that it is such an enormous task, and I feel like, you know, every time I'm bringing something from the Word of God, I feel like I'm handling things that are too wonderful for me. Because the Word of God is, is living and active, and it has power to change us like nothing else does. Amen? So let's give ourselves to the next 30 minutes or so to um, dive into the Word of God, to learn from the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I want to talk about wonders. Yeah? Do, do you guys know there are seven wonders in the world? Yeah? And there is this one of those seven wonders is in India. You know which one I'm talking about? Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal, yeah. It is this majestic monument which is beautiful, completely made of marble and all of these things. But the Taj Mahal, believe it or not, was not built for tourists. The Taj Mahal was not built to bolster the economy or to show off the splendor of the Mughal Empire. It was built by the Mughal Emperor Shah Jahan for his wife, whom he loved deeply. And the expert craftsmanship and everything on Taj Mahal, if you see it, it'll blow your mind away. But imagine if, if, that, if that wife, if Mumtaz came back to life and she saw the Taj Mahal, what she would um, take from that monument would be very different from what you or I would take back from that as a tourist, as a viewer, yeah? And the world looks at the church the death and the resurrection of Jesus as a wonder, a miracle, a marvelous thing. It's never happened before. But for you and I who are the church, you and I who comprise of the body of the church, the very people for whom Jesus died, for whom he was raised back to life again, it matters and it's very different that we understand what this resurrection means to us. Because Jesus didn't die to build buildings or to form a religion. He died to save his people. Amen. So I want to read, uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, um, he's basically saying, he's um, speaking about his CV, okay? This is my CV. I am resume. I am, uh, you know, by birth, by lineage, by um, his education, by his zeal, in every way, he was top-notch, okay? So when he says this, he's not saying it lightly, but he says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And he goes on to say, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He singles out these two things, that everything in my life, okay, everything that I have, everything that I am, I count everything as a loss when you compare it with the surpassing value of knowing Jesus and to know the power of his resurrection. These two things he singles out and he says, hey, these things are worth giving your life for to know Jesus and to know the power of his resurrection. What does a resurrection mean for us? If Paul so desired to know about this power of resurrection, don't you think you and I need to get into it? We need to show our attention and understand what does this resurrection mean for us? Just last Sunday, we, we celebrated Easter. Yeah, we celebrated the crucifixion and three days later, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what does that actually mean to me? What does that actually mean to you? 
After the resurrection, history was divided into before Jesus and after Jesus. It marks history. Every single epistle after that that was written includes the resurrection in a big way in some way or the other. Every single epistle talks about the resurrection of Jesus and the impact that that has. So today, we are going to look at what does the resurrection mean for us? Because Christ died and rose again for you and for me. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, it is our earnest desire this morning to know you and to know the power of your resurrection, Lord. I pray that you would reveal that to us. Open the eyes of our understanding so that we may comprehend with all the saints what is the love that you have for us, what is the power of this resurrection. I pray that you would anoint my words, and I pray that it's your spirit and not my own that would speak right now. And I pray that you would fill this room with eyes that are attentive towards you, Lord. We want to give glory to you by the things that we discuss this morning. And I pray for divine revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's look at the bookends. Okay? Don't you like knowing the end of the story when you're, when you're starting? I hate watching movies where you don't know what the end is. <laughs> I, I, you know, mystery, no, mystery movies or novels and stuff, I, I, wanna, I need to know the end. But let's look at the bookends of this resurrection. What does it mean for our faith? Okay, how we get saved, how we enter into Christ, and what does it mean for us for eternity? What does it mean for our future? Last Sunday, Colin spoke about how the resurrection is not just an element of the gospel, it is actually the linchpin, yeah? It is actually the hinge on which the, our salvation depends. It is a foundational principle of our Christian faith. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. How is that for some encouragement? <laughs> If Christ was not raised from the dead, my preaching is useless and your faith is useless. But praise be to God that Jesus did rise again on the third day. This is the reality of the resurrection. Without resurrection, the reason we need the resurrection is because without resurrection, there is no justification. What do you mean? Didn't Jesus die on the cross for my justification? Let's look at it. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. He was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. What does that mean? I want us to think about it like, you know, let's say you owe somebody some amount of money, okay? Uh, you, you take a cab or something, you get off, and then you have to make the payment. Let's say you're making an online payment, and you click send, and, the, and what happens? The money is deducted from your account, okay? As far as you're concerned, it is finished. That's what Jesus cried out on the cross. He said, it is finished. He had given a perfect sacrifice to God. But... When do you say, when you're making a transaction, when do you say the transaction is complete? When, when the person who's supposed to receive it accepts it, receives it, yeah? In the Old Testament, the solution for sin that God gave was sacrifice where you would bring a spotless lamb to the priest and the priest would slay the lamb and would lay it down on the altar. But how do you know that that sacrifice has been accepted by God? 
We don't really think about this much. But how did we know? How did, how did the Israelites know that the sacrifice would, was acceptable to God? Hmm? There is something called as the consuming fire of God. The fire of God would come and consume it. It's a supernatural thing. We don't really think about it, but it's in the Bible. Yeah, that is how the, the Israelites would bring the sacrifice. They would slay the lamb and place it on the altar where the consuming fire of God would come and consume the sacrifice. And that's how you know that your sacrifice was accepted. So when it comes to the sacrifice for our sin, the once and for all sacrifice for our sin, that is Jesus Christ, when he was slain on the cross and he was buried for three days, the evidence that we have been justified is that he rose again. God, through his Holy Spirit, rose Jesus back again from the dead. And I want to point out one thing. Jesus was not handed over to Satan to go and fight with Satan and to win over death and all of that and sin and everything. Jesus, the last words, the actual last words of Jesus are that, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus sacrificed in obedience to the Father. It is to God that the sacrifice was for. You don't pay a third party if you owe somebody something. Well, whom do we owe? We owe, because of our sin, we owe God something. And so Jesus sacrificed himself and he handed himself over to God and God accepted that sacrifice and raised Jesus back from the dead. The resurrection is evidence that God the Father accepted the sinless sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Amen? So how do we respond to this? How do we respond? There are two things. Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation. How do you get salvation in Christ? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. We did that this morning during worship, yeah? We declared Jesus is Lord. And then it says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If you're here this morning and you're not quite there yet, you're saying, I believe in a lot of things, the universe, you know, different gods, different beliefs, different system. It's everybody's truth. There is one truth brothers and sisters, okay, that Jesus alone can take away the sins of our past, present, future, yeah? And that is through this, that we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. So can I urge you, as long as it is today, it is the day of salvation, you can step into the salvation of God by saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Amen? But do you know, when you say that I believe in Jesus, there is actually another resurrection that takes place, and that is with you. Did you ever think about that? When you believe in Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus up from the dead, when you're saved, what happens is there is a resurrection that happens in us. This is Ephesians 2.8. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace that you have been saved. Nothing that we have done. He makes a dead person. When we were dead in our trespasses, he makes us alive. What is that called? 
Resurrection. <laughs> Resurrection. Hallelujah. Okay. What is the second response that we can have? It is baptism. I want to talk about this because baptism is so powerful. Baptism is a symbol of this belief. Yeah? I know we are going through a lot of theory right now. We, we, we'll get to um, you know, open space, but I think we need to just climb this hill a little more before we come to an open space where we'll just lay, lay down and enjoy and bask in these truths. Okay? So let's do a little more work before we lay down and enjoy um, this truth. Okay. So baptism is a symbol of this belief. Yeah? Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. We are made new creations, and that is symbolized by baptism. Now, if you believe that Jesus' death and resurrection is sufficient for your salvation, the Bible commands us to be baptized. Okay, baptism means to be immersed in the water and to be taken out. I want to share a little bit about my own journey. When I became a Christian, I struggled for a bit to take this step because the Bible commands it, there is power in obe obedience. Okay, so when I first became a Christian, I, I had questions about why do I need to be baptized? I thought it was an internal work. It is just between God and me and all of that. And I had these questions, but at the root of those questions was really, this is too big of a declaration for me to make to the whole world. This is, this is too much of me saying I am not a Hindu anymore and I am a Christian now. And even though I love Jesus and I did not think of following anybody else, I had to come to the point of saying, hey, this is a command of, of my Lord and Savior, so I need to obey Him. And so I decided to get baptized and something strange happened. In the week of my baptism, I, I fell down, I had a fall and I broke my wrist. Until that point, I never, um, I never broke a bone in my body. I'm quite careful. And after that, I've never broken a bone in my body either. It was just that singular event. But it woke me up to this realization that, hey, somehow this is not just a natural event. There is opposition. And, and I could feel that in my spirit. There is opposition. All of these doubts started coming to me. There was opposition because there is something of worth, something of value that I was going to do. And this is how you know that you're following Christ. When you face opposition, if you're living by your flesh, by the desires, ruled by the desires of your flesh, you will go through life coasting and have a happy, blessed Christian life. But it won't have power. Do you want power in your life? Do you want your lifestyle to have power? Then we're going to face some opposition. Yeah? So on the day of bapt my baptism, we cling-wrapped my left arm, so technically my left arm is not baptized, but, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we cling-wrapped my left arm, and I got baptized where I was taken under the water like Christ was when he was buried, and thankfully at Word of Grace, we don't keep them under the water for three days. So we were brought, I was brought immediately, maybe three seconds later, <laughs> I was brought back again. But um, Abdullah and Amrita that day took me out for lunch as a celebratory thing, and I remember Namrata asking me, hey, how are you feeling? now? Do you, do you sense anything different? And I searched myself, and immediately the, the thing that came out of me was saying, I feel light now. Like that day, I, I was like, generally when you come out of the water, you, you actually feel heavier because your clothes are soaking wet and all of that. But that day, I remember distinctly that when I came out of the water, I felt light, as if I left something behind in the water. 
Baptism is a powerful thing. There is something spiritual when you declare not only to your friends and family, but to the powers and principalities that I belong to Jesus. Jesus is Lord of my life. I believe that God raised him up on the third day from the grave. There is something powerful in making that declaration. So if you're at the point where you believe in Jesus, but you've not yet made the decision to get baptized, I want to encourage you, come and speak with one of us. We'll talk to you about what it is about so you can grasp the importance of it and then make a decision in obedience to Christ. Amen? Okay, great. Now let's talk about the future. This is the exciting part. Okay, this is where we all get, ooh. <laughs> the future, and Colin ref made reference to this because we have such a glorious future in Christ. Okay, anyone who believes in Jesus immediately goes to the last chapters and says, okay, what is going to happen in heaven with me? Okay, and this is what's going to happen. Actually, 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Our hope, the substance of our hope is beyond the grave. The substance of our faith, what we are living for, what we are hoping for is actually beyond the veil, beyond the grave. Yeah? So the first thing is that we will inherit glorified bodies. Okay, I won't go through the entire passages, but in, uh, I, I would recommend that you go through 1 Corinthians 15, the entire passage, because it speaks so clearly about this power of this resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 44 says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable and is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown natural body, raised a spiritual body. Remember this, when Jesus Christ comes back again, at the second coming of Christ, we are going to be raised with Christ. And we are, it's not going to be, I think Hollywood has given us the idea that the apocalypse would be full of zombies. Okay, we are not going to see a whole bunch of mangled bodies. Okay, what we are going to see is, think about it, a seed that is sown in the ground. Okay, what comes out of that, it looks nothing like the seed. It looks completely different. It looks hydrated at the very least. A, a seed looks so shrunk, you know, shriveled and shrunken and, and, and it looks like it's, it's worth nothing. But then you see not just a leaf come out, but a branch, a trunk, you know, and this glorious tree and then leaves and fruits and, you know, all of these things. That is the glorious body, the glorified body that we are going to have on the second coming of Jesus. And that is possible because of the resurrection. Amen. The second thing is an inheritance. Now Jesus died and he rose again and he ascended to the Father and scripture tells us that he has gone to do two, two things. He has gone to make room for us. Okay, the, the Bible says that in my Father's house are many rooms and he's going to prepare a place for us in heaven. And the second thing that it says is that he is interceding for us. He is at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? So what is happening is because Jesus was resurrected, we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven. First Peter 1.4 says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. There is something of value that is kept in heaven for us that this world cannot compare to, that this world cannot manage to get hold of. This world cannot defile. It is imperishable. 
Yeah, there is something of value that is kept for you and me as believers, as, as co-heirs with Christ, as children of God that is kept for us in heaven. You might say, if I have Jesus, I don't need anything else. Hey, if Jesus says that it's going to be of value, you bet it's going to be of value. Yeah? When we get to heaven, whatever this inheritance is that we are going to come into, a greater degree of grace that we are going to enter into, that is going to be something that you would want. So because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have a glorified body to look forward to and an inheritance to look forward to. But now, let's forget, these are the two bookends. What we are here to really talk about is the middle, the murky middle. <laughs> This is the here and now. What does the resurrection of Christ mean to me? Does it have to change anything? I know I'm saved, okay? I believed in Jesus. I believe he was resurrected from the grave. I know he's won over death and sin and grave and everything. So I'm saved. Great. Hallelujah. Okay? And then you're going to look forward to a glorified body, to a grand inheritance, to a great welcome, to a wedding feast of the Lamb. All of that is marvelous. But how does the resurrection of Christ from the dead impact my here and now? Does it need to change anything? My friends, everything in our lives needs to change in the view of the resurrection of Christ. It did for the disciples. The disciples, after the death of Jesus, how were they? They were sad. They were hopeless. They just had no vision for their lives. They, they said, okay, we'll just go back to fishing. That's what we used to do. We go back to fishing, just live this life somehow, stay under the radar. But then Jesus came back to life, and they met with them. And yes, there was joy, but this group of 11 disciples at the time, they turned into an army of apostles that turned the world upside down. How did that happen? Because everything, their vision for their lives significantly altered because Jesus rose again. Today, who is the Jesus that we enter into? It is not the Jesus before the crucifixion or the Jesus in the grave, but it is the risen, reigning Jesus that we are a part of. That is the Jesus who is in our midst. Every time we raise up a song of worship, every time we say, God, we make room for you, who are we making room for? We're making room for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The risen, reigning Jesus is the one that we are beholding. And so that has to change every part of our lives, everything about us. The first thing that it does is that the resurrection of Jesus has won a victory for us, okay? It has won victory over our final enemy, death and the grave, yeah? Because the wages of sin were death, but Christ put an end to that. He defeated death. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57 says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for our paycheck. We no longer live for our, just our families. We no longer live for anything the world might offer, name, fame, you know, whatever it is. 
We live for Christ. But what does living for Christ mean? The resurrection means three things to us. And if you have notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. The resurrection of Jesus means three things to us. It gives us a living hope. It gives us a living hope. It makes us living stones. And three, it demands a living sacrifice. A living hope, living stone, and a living sacrifice. That is what the resurrection of Jesus has done for us, for here and now. Let's talk about a living hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope, what does this mean? You know, there was a recent study done by some neurologists where they found that there is, there is hope that they can find somewhere in the brain activity, okay? And they could not find where exactly it resides in the brain because I believe it, it resides in our spirit. It's, it's not a thing that resides in our, in our physical brains. It's, it's actually something that arises from our spirit. So they say that, however, this hope acts like a shield to all the effects of anxiety, mental disorder, Okay, and this is a proven study that hope protects us. The hope helps us to endure difficult situations. They found that, you know, cancer patients who had hope, okay, who had this, this developed this hope within themselves, they're looking forward to something. The, uh, they were able to, uh, you know, get treatment much better. They were responding to treatment much better and they were able to overcome it. They were able to go, you know, um, get out of the cancer because they had hope. Can you imagine hope being something that brings you out of a mortal illness? Hope is a powerful thing. How does this hope look like in our life? When we say we have victory in Christ, you know, we think all rah-rah, you know, we, we're going to slay the demon and, you know, we, all of these action movies come to our mind. But victory in Christ really looks like Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. Paul and Silas were doing the Lord's work. They were sharing the gospel. They were preaching the word of God. And then they are falsely accused. They are stripped. They are flogged. And they are wrongly arrested. And they are in, imprisoned, okay, wrongly imprisoned in, in the prison, in the middle of the night. What happens? They had every reason to grumble. They had every reason to be angry. They had every reason to take offense, okay? They had every reason to do all of this. But what happens is in that prison, around midnight, suddenly the prisoners start hearing a song. You know, I, I imagine they must be singing something like, How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. Can you imagine? You are wrongly accused, you are beaten, and you are shackled, you're, you're imprisoned. For doing what? For sharing the word of God. Something that you, have, you are convinced that that's what the Lord wants you to do. And we are not very far removed from that. In India, if you think this is a peace time, this is not a peace time. And here and now, you will have every reason to take offense, to grumble and complain and all of that. But in all of that, they had a hope. What is that hope? Oh, God, 
We are grateful that you found us worthy to suffer like you did on the earth. That you found us worthy to share your word with people, to die with you so that we can be raised with you again. Oh, that hope. Because if you hope for anything in this life, it will let you down at some point or the other. You know, your friends, even though you might have the best relationship, they might let you down. What's worse, you can lose people that you love. Everything that you can hope for in this life can let you down and certainly will at some point. But when your hope is in Him who died and rose again, that is steadfast. And that will help us to endure through any kind of circumstance. So can I urge you, as an action point, and whenever I do this, I find this so challenging, but can we watch what we are saying and thinking? How, how are we infusing our situations, our circumstances with hope? Because when I start paying attention to it, I find that every third thought in my brain is a complaint. Every second thing that I say is grumbling. Something that I can do nothing about, just you know, complaining, grumbling, taking offense. What are we getting into all of this for? It's not giving us life. It's not solving our problems. What is it doing? Complaining is actually the enemy of hope. It, it, it proclaims that, hey, I don't know if God is going to take care of me. I don't know if God is good. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. I don't know if he's powerful enough in all circumstances. Instead, what do we do? God is good all the time. <laughs> yeah. We praise instead. Can we cultivate that? Next time you're tempted to complain about your boss or your spouse or your friend or whatever it is, can I ask you to just go under a concentration you know, period where you're taking every thought captive, every word captive, and you're saying, is there hope in this? Can we do that? As an experiment, let's try it out. Let's see if we are more hopeful by next Sunday. And I'm saying this because I, I, I tried that this week. Because I, I, I was just in a very dark place, and when I knew that I had to prepare for this, I, I struggled the most to prepare for this message, not because it's theologically difficult, but because it is emotionally difficult. So can we stir up hope, not only in ourselves, but maybe one another? Can we say, hey, I know you're going through a tough time, but you have a great reward. This is not being fake, by the way. We, this is choosing to direct our attention to some, a greater reality, a greater truth. It's not a lie to say that I have hope in Christ. It will never be a lie. I know that he has victory in all circumstances. We are more than conquerors in everything through Christ Jesus. It is not fake to say this, it is truth. And sometimes the things that we say inform our emotions, minds, everything. And you know, Nawaz has a whole teaching on that which she does. All right, so that is the living hope that we have in Jesus, okay? Next is that the resurrection makes us living stones. What does that mean? First Peter 2, 4, and 5. Yeah. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the imagery that 
Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the first living stone. Yeah? He's the cornerstone who starts establishing this church, this dwelling place of God. Okay? And Jesus Christ is called the cornerstone because in a building, I, and I had spoken about this in some context or the other, but a cornerstone really in a building gives the orientation and the dimensions for the entire building. Okay, so a cornerstone is extremely important. But then what happens is, what are you going to do after you establish the cornerstone? After you establish a cornerstone, you're going to go and try to look for other stones. You, you need other stones to build a building. So the masons, the architects, they're going to go looking for another stone Okay, that they, are, they will then set apart. When God chose us in Christ, that's what he was doing with us. He set us apart. That's why he says, be holy as, as he who saved you. Our God is holy, so be holy. But holy just means be set apart for his purposes. Your life is lived for him. Yeah, that is what living for Jesus means. So what happens is then they will bring that stone and then what do they start doing? You can't just put a stone that is all irregular shaped and start building on it, right? The, the building will collapse. What they then do is they start chipping away at the stone. You start chipping away at the stone to remove anything that is not like the cornerstone because all that sto those stones need to look alike. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As I am being refined by the Father, you are also being refined by the Father in likeness to Christ. We are all being, going through the process of refinement. And this refining can come from three, um, in three ways. Refinement can come from the Word of God, the Spirit of God. Refinement can come from trials and tribulations that we go through. And refinement can come from one another. Yeah? When you have leadership over you, they correct you, they give you some adjustments and all of that, that's refinement. Now, being living stones means that you are actually giving your life for, for the church, for Jesus and for His bride. Amen. Because it goes on to say that a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, not only are we the walls, okay, we are not building a physical temple like in the Old Testament. It is a living stone. It is a living house. We are a holy priesthood. We are all supposed to be ministering to one God. We are all supposed to make a place for His presence to dwell amongst us through His Spirit. Amen. So we can have, um, so we can be living stones by giving ourselves into the hands of the Father. We need to have a vision that we are not just here to, you know, put up a musical performance here, or we are not just here to arrange chairs and, you know, get this thing running or keep this thing running. Who is the builder? Jesus. He says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? So we need to give ourselves to being corrected. That is what it means to be a living stone. And the third thing is like it. It's very similar because it's, it's, it's a part of this verse as well. To offer spiritual sacrifices, okay? The third is that it demands a living sacrifice. And I could have just referred back to that same verse, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, but I love how it says it in, in Romans 12. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I would love to do once a session just on, you know, whatever follows by the mercies of God, by the mercy of God, according to His great mercy, according to His rich grace. You know, all the commands that follow it are basically saying, give yourself to Him. Don't hold back because He didn't. 
Anyway, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God always delivers for the purpose of communion and worship. Remember the Israelites when they were delivered from Egypt? They were delivered for what? It's not delivered into promised land. When first Moses went and asked Pharaoh, what did he say? He said, let my people go so that they may go in the wilderness and worship our God. So there is a sense of worship when it comes to deliverance. When we are delivered, when we are redeemed, when we come into Christ, it is a partly, at least, the, the reason for that is so that we can commune with him, that we can worship him and adore him because some part of our purpose is fulfilled in just beholding him. He's the space, the, the open space that we want to run into. He's the rest that we want to walk into. So, how do we be a living sacrifice? Now, because Jesus was raised from the dead, because of Jesus' resurrection, we are no longer required to bring dead sacrifices. Yeah? We are no longer required to bring bulls and goats and all of that and lay it out on the altar and you know, wait for the fire of God to come. We're not required to do that because Jesus' death and resurrection is a once and for all death and resurrection. It's a once and for all sacrifice. So we don't have to bring dead sacrifices anymore, but we are required to sacrifice. So what does living sacrifice look like? The, somebody said, I think it was... Um, Okay, I'm not able to recollect, but somebody said, the problem with the living sacrifice is that it can crawl out of the altar. You put yourself on the altar as a sacrifice, but because you're living, you can get up and walk out whenever you feel like it. Okay, that is free will. And God wants to continue giving us free will. He's never taking that away. But we are not required to bring dead sacrifices. We are commanded to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that we give... It says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. It means our, our mind, our, our body, our emotions, our strength, everything that is ours, can we present it to God as a sacrifice? Can we give our lives as a sacrifice to God? Now, you may not get adulation for it in this world. Yeah, because that's very real. Where are you going to put on your CV that you came for setup at 7.45 or 8 a.m. every Sunday for the last 10 Sundays? Where is it going to fit? Under what category? Where are you going to... Even in the church, if you're not doing some kind of a public ministry, like preaching or leading worship or something, people don't really look at those things much. Okay, here we are a little more, um, you know... Uh, present and, and uh, vigilant about that and we want to honor people who lay their lives down for the kingdom and, and we try to do that. But generally, in, in church, I, either, you know, there, there is this platform ministry that gets a lot of attention, but those who do all the background work, you know, doing administrative work for the church, doing this and doing that, what are you doing? You will never be able to put it on your CV as, you know, hey, I'm qualified for this because I've done 10 years of this or that. That is for Jesus. He's going to rightly reward you for it. And that is what being a living sacrifice means. And the very next verse in this passage talks about, you know, how can we be a living sacrifice is that we move away from the patterns of this world. We do not conform to the patterns of this world. The world will tell you so many things about, you know, what is right and what is wrong that are contrary to what the Bible says. So how do we deal with that? We become living sacrifices. We say, God, whatever you say, I'll give myself, my mind, my emotions, my thoughts, everything to follow you. 
You know, in KP, there is this building that I always pass by, and I always see that it's, it's unfinished, okay? It was in the process of being built, and it's, uh, I can see the vision. It's a beautiful building, and, and I would have loved to see it finished, but it started being a building, and then it, it stopped. The construction stopped halfway. And I was just um, thinking this morning as I was preparing for this message that, you know, we're so grateful for the generations before us who lay their life down, who rightfully sacrificed to Jesus their lives. And they were able to build a part of the building, a part of this glorious church. But if we stop at this generation to be a living sacrifice, if we stop making those sacrifices which may seem like crazy to culture, what will happen is we will remain that unfinished building. Jesus is not the kind of builder who leaves things unfinished. He is determined, he is zealous to have his bride. But guess what? We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to give ourselves to be the living stones. We need to give ourselves as the living sacrifices so that God can dwell in our midst, so that the, the church can be built. It is not a physical thing, but it is an eternal thing. It is going to last for eternity. What are you building today? I want us to examine what are you giving your time to? Where in this entire context of building the kingdom are you fitting in? Where do you see yourself fitting in? Are you being prepared for that? Are you preparing your life to be a living sacrifice to him? You know, we are not the laborers of Shah Jahan who was building a mausoleum. You know, the Taj Mahal is really a, a crypt. It's a tomb. But we are not building a tomb. We are laborers of God. And because Jesus is alive today, we are not building a tomb. We are building a living place. We are the living temple of God, and we need to take that role seriously. So this morning, where do you see yourself fitting into all of these categories that we discussed? We discussed a lot, but what does the resurrection mean to you? Maybe you need to give your life to Christ to begin with. Maybe you need to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead. Maybe you, there are dead areas of your life where you need the resurrection power of God. Maybe you need, to re, you need renewed hope for your circumstances. Maybe you have these unanswered prayers that you want to have the courage and the strength to raise them up to God again. Whatever it is that you need, um, you know, whatever it is that the resurrection means for you this morning. Maybe you need to step into being a living stone. Maybe you have just been born again that you've accepted Christ, but you've not yet really started being discipled by anybody yet. Maybe you want to give yourself to that. Maybe you want to renew your mind by the Holy Spirit and be transformed. Maybe you need a fresh vision of the church. And all of these things are not possible just to happen in a, a you know, meeting or a message or something like that. It is a revelation of Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So if any of these categories apply to you and you're saying, I need this, this is what the resurrection means to me, would you stand with me right now? And we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that your presence would be resting over here. Lord, we pray for the dead areas in our lives to be brought back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
you are the resurrected Christ and you have the power to resurrect us, Lord. Jesus, I pray for each one of us. If you're at the brink of making the decision of being baptized or, or following you, Jesus, with all our hearts, I pray this would be the moment that we are able to give our lives to you. I pray for a fresh commitment to follow you and to be laborers in your field. Jesus, I pray for a fresh vision, a renewed vision of what the church is and how do we fit into it right now. I thank you, Lord, for your presence and your guidance. And we rejoice, even in all our circumstances, we rejoice with a living hope. We thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord. We pray for your enabling spirit to come upon us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.